Well, we are, uh, as I noted, going to continue on with our time now in a moment of conversation, of discussion, uh, centered around the teaching and the scriptures of Jesus. Uh, the reason we do this, of course, is that while we believe spiritual truth can be found in a lot of places, uh, we all need somebody outside of us to help us in our journey. And here at Ethnos, we really believe that Jesus, his life, his teaching, what he had to say when he was here is unique among all the different options. And we think unique and helpful for our everyday journey. And so here at Ethnos, we take our time Sunday, every Sunday, to look at his scriptures, look at his story to help us along the way. Now, of course, if you don't subscribe to Jesus, that's totally fine. We're glad you're here. We definitely encourage you to bring what you're thinking to the tables and um, join in on this conversation as we try to create the space for our city to explore God and get in touch with our spiritual journey. We have been in this series, of course, uh, over the summer called Everyday God, trying to look at the scriptures of Jesus and a particular story within the scriptures to help us along the way. But before I kind of jump into that story and have us recap a little bit of what this story is about, I thought I'd just jump right into our discussion question this morning to get us going. And it has to do with, again, something that I think all of us deal with, something that all of us have to process in our spiritual journey. And so let's take a look at today's discussion topic and question. How does your behavior, your good or bad behavior, affect how you feel about yourself? How does your behavior, your good behavior, bad behavior, how does that affect how you feel about yourself, your worth, who you are, your significance? Take about two minutes, turn to your table partners, and process this real quick. You'll see why we need to talk about this as we dive into our scripture excerpt today. Thanks. About 20 more seconds. All right, try to wrap up your thoughts there. What are we thinking? Who wants to share uh, with the rest of us, with the larger group, how you're processing this question here this morning? Feel free to be as honest as you need to be. Yeah, what are we thinking? A lot, of, a lot of good conversation. Over here, yeah. Let's get us started. Thanks, Sam, for getting us started. This table here. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just sharing that, like, when, you know, I do something good and productive, and I'm going to the gym and working out and sleeping early and, you know, doing all the right behaviors, you know, I feel a healthy pride, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel productive and proud and good, and, you know, when I do something bad, if I'm eating too much or drinking too much or not working out, the next day you kind of feel... You know, you lose that energy and you feel shame and embarrassment and you just don't feel good about yourself. Your, your self-worth is less. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's give it up for Sam real quick. Yeah. Um, Sam, I think you've framed it really well for us. Uh, how many of us feel like, yeah, that's kind of, Sam described my life pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you summarized it, but okay, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, what else? What else are we thinking as we process this question here this morning? Who else wants to share? I, see, I always love seeing people pointing fingers at other people. You guys are so nice to each other. I love it. I love it. Uh, anybody else this morning? Yeah, over here. Yeah. 
I was just thinking how sometimes certain people can trigger the bad in us, and then we don't want to be around that person. Um, but it's not necessarily that person's fault, but it's just, how do you get away from that? I don't know. Yeah, let's give it up for Mona. Yeah. Whoa, we're getting a little personal here. Uh, how many of you felt like, yeah, Mona kind of put her finger on, on me as well? Yeah. Yeah, I see some people really reaching for this guy there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What else? What else are we processing with this question here? What's well, good? Oh, oh, back here. Okay, sorry. I thought you were still like giving an affirmation there. Like, yes, I still agree with that last statement. <laughs> Actually, to go off of what she was saying, I was just telling my friend here about the same uh, about the same thing. I definitely have to. I definitely deal with that, especially coming out of a traumatic experience for myself. Uh, in that, God found a way to make my discernment that much more sensitive to the people around me, which tends to make me a little more tense and agitated and aggravated with people who don't agree with my discernment. Yeah. So that's something for me that I usually feel bad about and that I check back with God on. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give it up for AR. Thanks, AR, for that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anybody else? Okay, yeah, I see a hand over here. Jose, what's up, man? Good to see you this morning. I feel like uh, there have been many people in my life that have poured themselves, um, have poured a lot of love into me and helped me. I feel that if I don't reflect them in a good way, then I fail them. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Let's give it up for Jose. Thank you. Yeah. So you you kind of you feel like you're letting someone else down or, or their kind of reputation down. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of us feel that way. Now, you know, this is a this is a fascinating question, right? Because it's a question that deals with something we, we all have to deal with. I mean, the fact that we are people who act well on some days act terribly on other days, and many of us in those moments find ourselves thinking all sorts of different things and different ideas about who we are, what we're worth in those moments of good and bad behavior. You know, as we take a look at the scriptures of Jesus here this morning, uh, we're going to begin to tackle an aspect of the spiritual journey that has to deal directly with this question and the, the issues involved in feeling guilty, not guilty, those kind of things. But let me just remind us real quick before we dive in, the way we're going to get there is going to be a little bit strange, okay? Let me just say that. Uh, if you were here last week, you know how strange this story is, right? Uh, we're reading this 4,000-year-old story. Last week, we read this whole thing about circumcision. If you missed it, it's going to get online really soon, right? And uh, it was, a, did you guys have a good time talking about circumcision? I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I actually was really excited to lead that discussion. Anyways, um, there were no demonstrations, just in case you were wondering. No, no, like, reenactments. Don't worry. Um, but today, as we continue with the scriptures of Jesus, uh, we're going to, again, dive into some really strange territory. And, and the reason why it, it seems at first strange is because we're reading a 4,000-year-old story about a man named Abraham. And this man was like you and I. He got started with God in a very odd place. Uh, if you remember our very first conversation at the beginning of summer, Abraham was actually a moon worshiper in the Middle East. And God, the God of the universe, met him while he was a moon worshiper and said, hey, you know what, I want you to follow me. And Abraham, just like us, had good moments and bad moments. He followed well. He didn't follow well the other days. And God began to make a promise to Abraham that through Abraham and his descendants, 
God was going to do something special in the world. He was going to bless, bless the world through Abraham and his offspring. Now, throughout the story so far, we've been reading how that seemed really odd that God would do that because Abraham and Sarah couldn't conceive and have kids. In fact, last week, we got to a place where 24 years later, 24 years after this initial promise to Abraham that I'm going to do something special to you, you're going to have kids, all these sorts of things, 24 years later, Abraham still had no kids. Well, last week, we began to realize that God was about to fulfill his promise at year 24. And he said, you know what? By this time next year, he tells Abraham, you're going to have a kid. And the promise is going to get fulfilled, and the next chapter will open up. Now, here's the deal. Right? Last week, the funny th- part of it, of course, was that God was going to say, okay, yeah, before that happens, though, you got to get circumcised, which is really weird. And uh, again, listen to the talk last week. Uh, that There's some logic behind it. But all of a sudden, in this week's story, God kind of shifts gears a little bit and doesn't focus on Abraham but instead focuses on the rest of the world at that time and how that blessing was going to come, okay? So again, we've been looking at this guy, Abraham, for a long time, but then God sort of shifts. And the way he talks about how blessing will happen to the rest of the world involves some uncomfortable things here today, uncomfortable things because it will involve some judgment of the world. But this uncomfortable subject, I think, is actually very important to this idea of God being good and God blessing our world today. Let's take a look at the story. I'll read through it. You'll see why it's a little odd and a little uncomfortable, but I'll kind of circle back to it, and we'll go through it slowly but surely and talk about what this story is actually trying to tell us about God, our behavior, and actually the, the love of God that is here for us to experience today. I'll be reading uh, from the first paragraph. We'll just jump right in. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of day. Okay, so just kind of recap last week again. They had gone through this whole circumcision procedure. So Abraham, needless to say, is sitting down. He's not walking around. He's, not, he's, he's chilling, okay? And so God, again, shows up to him, and this is what happens. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he turned from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed to the ground. Now, this is kind of interesting. God last week showed up to Abraham. We're not told how he showed up last week, but this time, right after the procedure, he shows up in the form of three people. That's really interesting, okay? Now, different things will happen. Uh, You'll notice we'll skip a few numbers, a few verses here, because what God essentially does is kind of reinstate or reaffirm the promise that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, so we've kind of skipped over that. But then what happens is this. Notice the second paragraph. When the men got up to leave, after they had promised the promise again, they looked down towards Sodom And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Now, Sodom was a city that was nearby where Abraham's relatives were living in, okay? Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? 
Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. What's going on here? Well, as we read this story, what's going to happen, what we're going to discover is that God is thinking about Sodom, but he's thinking about doing something very terrible to Sodom. He's actually thinking about destroying the city of Sodom. We'll read in the next paragraph why he's thinking this way, but please note in this second paragraph that the context of what God is about to say is that he is thinking this way because he's actually trying to figure out how the blessing that he has for the world will come into the world. Okay, just keep that in mind because that's going to relate to our first point. Now, look at paragraph three. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, a sister city there, is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now, I'm not sure how that works, because apparently God was showed up in these three people. They go away, but somehow Abraham is still standing before God. I'm not sure how this works. I just want to be honest. It seems a little odd. Then Abraham appeared approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke up. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if, there, what if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it for the sake of 30. Abraham said, How that, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. Wow. What if only 10? can be found there. He, God, answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abram, he left, and Abraham returned home. Now, this is a fascinating story, right? Really strange, really odd, but it kind of strikes at some things that really hit close to home for us today. First of all, there's this notion that God, in order to bring his blessing into his world, in order to bring the good he wants in our world, he has to get rid of evil, right? 
He has to get rid of, apparently, the city Sodom where wickedness is happening. And if you look at the third paragraph, the words that are used for the outcry against Sodom and the wickedness there, if you look at how those words are used elsewhere in the scriptures of Jesus, they refer to oppression, injustice, issues of slavery. And so this is, this, there's something bad going on here that God does have to get rid of in order for his good to come into the world. Now, of course, I think many of us today feel a little bit uncomfortable with this idea, right? That God is like this or that this sort of getting rid of evil might mean like getting rid of certain people. And the reason we feel uncomfortable is, well, some of us feel like everyone deserves another chance, right? Like, Surely we're not all that wicked and all that bad. Surely there's good inside of everybody. So, man, this, this is just, this is God being unfair or God being just, you know, not, not, not gracious at all. Right? So some of us feel like this, this just doesn't work out because surely it's not that bad. Others of us, of course, are on the other side and we feel like we, we truth be told, we sort of join God in the judgment. We feel like, yeah, there's a lot of bad people out there, and let me tell you who the bad people are, <laughs> and I'll help God get rid of it. You know, yeah. no, no. Some of us err on that side, right? Or some of us feel like other people err on that side, and so we're like, man, this, this whole idea that evil has to be kind of rid of and, and wicked people have to get, you know, we have to get rid of it. We just, we feel uncomfortable with it, right? Now, I think... To move forward, I think we do have to acknowledge a couple of things. First of all, uh, none of us should be the ones making the call of who's good or bad. I mean, this, this is not our job to do, right? The, in the story, is God. It's God's responsibility, number one. But number two, I think we also need to acknowledge that some things are really just plain wicked, and we really actually, there's, there's yes, there's reformation needed for some things, but some things are so wicked, we just have to like, cut it off and get rid of it, right? Uh, many of you have been aware and perhaps even affected, for example, uh, by the racist talk in our country this last week. Uh, our president, different politicians, race, racism has been an issue being discussed. It has been something that many in our country are concerned about. Now, some of us, feel like, well, it's just talk right now, right? It's not like actions being taken. It's nothing that bad. And in some ways, you're right. Like, it, no one has been killed yet because of the talk. But the problem with the talk, and this is just especially for those of us still trying to understand, why, why is it that some people, especially people of color, are so, so worked up about this last week? The reason is because all of that talk has a history. All of those phrases have a history, and the history is not pretty. The history involved lynchings of thousands of people. The history involved actual wickedness that there's, not even, there's no good about it at all. Um, as part of this week, as I was just processing what was going on, I was reminded of... Um, that period in our history where lynching was tied in to black bodies, 
And so I was just rereading some of the accounts of lynchings. And if you've never read an account of the lynchings from the late 1800s to the mid-1900s, some of our last lynchings in the United States were in the 1960s, read an account. There's nothing good about it. It's wicked. It's evil. We have to get rid of it. There's, there's just no way around it, right? And that's one of the many many, many issues in our world. And so I think we can say, yes, there's wickedness. That, man, if something good's going to come in our world, we've got to get rid of it. I mean, there's just no other way around it. But then the question is, well, how? How are we going to get rid of the evil? What's going to happen? Who's, like, how is this actually going to happen? Well, the story continues in an interesting way by showing us that God will somehow spare or, or deal with wickedness on the account of the action of the righteous. What do I mean? Well, you, you notice how this story, as Abraham is you know, starting to think through this. Now, Abraham, again, is thinking through the city of Sodom. He doesn't want it destroyed primarily because he has family members there. His nephew and his whole family, they actually lived there. And so he's like, wait a second, this, this could be a bad deal for my family. And so he begins to ask God, well, God, surely, well, what if there are like 50 people that are actually good? They're not wicked, and they're there. Would, would you spare the whole city on the count of the 50? And here's the amazing thing about the story. God says yes. God says yes. Now, of course, Abraham's like, okay, well, I don't think nephew, my nephew has 50 family members, so let me, <laughs> let me do the math real quick as I'm talking to God. Uh, 45? No, 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 no. He didn't have that many kids. Uh, let me keep it. Okay. He, he boils it down to 10. And God says, yeah, for the sake of 10 righteous people, I won't destroy the city. Now, just, just pause and think about that real quick. And think about how that maybe messes with your conception of God. Because some of us in this room think God is, is this terrible person, that God is out to get the wicked, all those kind of things, and, and he, he's, just, he's out to destroy. And we really think God is a nasty person. But let's, let's get honest here. That, I think this, is, this shows a different side of God, that God actually is like, no, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to work a deal out. I actually want to spare people. But here's the crazy thing about this story, right? And we're going to read this in the next few weeks. Here's the crazy thing about the story. Sodom and Gomorrah will still be destroyed by God. They will still be destroyed by God because it turns out that not even Lot and his family, the ten that Abraham was hoping would maybe be good, in reality, they're not even good. You know what the story is actually doing, the story of Abraham is doing, and we've talked about this every Sunday we've been together. The story of Abraham is actually a story that's pointing us to the bigger story of God and Jesus that is found in the rest of the scriptures of Jesus. And what it's pointing to is some basic realities that Jesus, when he comes, 
will emphasize and reiterate for us. Three things about this story. We'll get it on the screen just so you understand this. And then we're going to kind of fast forward and think about how this impacts us today. The story really reminds us, number one, that there is no human being that is ultimately righteous, like perfectly righteous. I think we all know that. That's why we feel uncomfortable when we, have, when we hear people trying to judge other people because we know the, the people trying to judge other people, you're not perfect. Why are you judging me? I'm not perfect. Why should I judge you? Like, we all know this, I think, intuitively. But Jesus, when he comes, just wants, makes this very clear. Okay? But here's the crazy thing about the story of God and the story of Jesus. Number two, God actually doesn't want to get rid of wicked people. Because here's the deal. If he got rid of wicked people and none of us are righteous, that means we, none of us would be here. We would kind of be, in many ways, swept up, you could say, with Sodom and Gomorrah. But this is what God does. This is what God does in order to make sure this idea of righteousness and goodness still stays in place. Because right at this point, we're left with a dilemma, right? Okay, so if God doesn't want to get rid of us, but God is, in order for him to be good, he does have to get rid of wickedness, right? We, we've kind of established that point. Like, there are real wicked things in this world that we really need to get rid of. What does God do? Well, we see this principle at play in this story, that God somehow is okay with the righteousness of a few to count for the righteousness of the rest, or for the righteousness of a few to negate the evil of the rest. Now, this is where the story becomes amazing, because we've already established point number one, no one's righteous, so what happens? Well, God, and this is point number three, God becomes a human being in Jesus. He lives the only righteous life He's the only human to have done that. And that righteous life somehow negates all of our wickedness, all of our evil. And not only does it negate it, God makes us righteous through that. Take a look at the back of your sheets here. These are some of the scriptures that emphasize this, that articulate this for us. Um, they're very short. Uh, they come from this long discussion, but let me just make it clear. These are from the scriptures after Jesus has come. Um, the first one is very simple. There is no one righteous, not even one. But notice the second scripture, but now apart from the law, so apart from the system of if you do good, good things will happen to you, bad things, bad things will happen to you, good people should not be judged, bad people will be judged, that that's kind of the system of the law. Apart from that system of the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. How has it been made known? This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus. It's through Jesus, him being faithful, him living a righteous life, and then check this out, through the obedience of the one man, talking about Jesus, the many, all of us, will be made righteous. There is a righteousness, a goodness that somehow we get because of Jesus. 
and somehow it is the perfect solution, I hope you see, to this dilemma of, yes, in order for a good world to occur, wickedness needs to get rid of, be rid of. But how is that possible? It's through what God did through Jesus. Now, we get some time to process this at our tables, just kind of I'd love to hear your thoughts about the, the flow of logic here. But before we get there, how does this actually impact our lives today? What, what relevance does this have to our lives today? Well, let me just go back to our first question that we asked. How do you feel, how do I feel when we have good behavior and when we have bad behavior? How do we feel about ourselves? I think the majority of us rose or, you know, put our hands up. And said that, you know what, when I do bad things, I feel worse about myself. Pretty normal. But I have a feeling many of us take that a step further. When I do bad things, not only do I feel bad about myself, but subconsciously or very consciously, I think God looks down on me as well. I think God doesn't like me as well. If this story is true, and if Jesus has actually done what the scriptures have told us that he's done, then that logic is incorrect, isn't it? Because the way ultimately God looks at us, the way God feels about us, the way God will judge us is not based on if we've done good or bad, because it's very apparent that there's nobody who's done good. But it's based on the righteousness, on the faithfulness of Jesus. God looks at us in a very radically different way, not based on what we've done, but what Jesus has done. We'll think about that a little bit more, but let's hit pause. Why don't you turn to your neighbors, two minutes, process what we've shared so far, process the story perhaps, process some of these bigger ideas, two minutes, and we'll bring it back together. About 20 more seconds. All right. Um, what are we thinking? What are we processing? And let, let, me just, let me just explain really quickly why we constantly bring it to the mic. We really believe here at Ethnos that, uh, that if God is real, he doesn't just speak through, like, a person up front. He, he's speaking... So all of us, as we engage with him, and really, really believe that as we open the mic up every Sunday, that some of you have great insight you need to share with the rest of us. Some of you have some great questions that you need to ask in order for the rest of us to really understand this. So, so let me just make that clear. Uh, if you're sensing like you want to share something or, or you, you have a question or some insight, uh, this is a time for that. And, and we believe you're going to help us out here all of us out as you share. So what are we thinking? What are we processing as we're thinking through this story and some of the points I've made so far? Anybody want to share? Yeah. So I was thinking through the song that we were singing this morning about like praise like, praise like oil and the, song, the story behind it um, about someone coming to Jesus as they were. And I think about that in my life too. Like, uh, 
for a lot of my life, I've been thinking I have to like get myself together before I come to church. Um, and I think that's a really hard way to, to live my life. And Jesus just wants me to come and then use this time to sort things out. And just, you know, the relationship with him is the important part. That's a good word, Tim. Thanks. Let's give it up for Tim. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, right, like, yeah, the truth is, right, I, I'm almost certain uh, many of us, before we show up here on Sunday, like, we've probably done something terrible already Sunday morning, right? Like, <laughs> let's just be honest, right? <laughs> like, you woke up, and immediately you started hating on someone, even though you hadn't seen them yet. You started lusting over something. You started, you know, you got a text, and you're like, what the beep? And, you know, he's like, you're like, oh, I've just disqualified myself from coming here. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you, Tim. Yeah, many of us, I think, think that way. But no, thank, yeah, I think this story points us to a different sort of God. Yeah. What else? What else are we thinking? What else are we processing? Yeah. AR, you're making me work today, man. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, I... I like this story, but I also like uh, the part where Abraham kind of bargains with God. It kind of shows the rationale and the reason, the reasoning God is. He's not wicked and he's not out to get us. But even for that 10, he's like, fine, the 10, good. But despite the outcome, he's showing us that is an, I think that's an example of him showing us a reasonable self because he is honoring the heart that Abraham ha had to even test the fact that he would spare the city. Oh, give it up. Let's give it up for AR. Thank you for that. Yeah. There are definitely a lot of layers to the story that I've kind of, kind of, you know, fast forwarded through. But you're absolutely right. We see a very open God. No, God who's open to us processing and dialoguing and even disagreeing with him. He's, God is very secure in himself. He can handle us, right? Yeah. What else? What else are we thinking? What else are we processing? Oh, over here. Yeah, this table has, I heard you guys talking a lot here, so. Uh, I was sharing how, uh, for myself, oftentimes it's hard to, to like, give myself that forgiveness. Uh, I, I'm, I'm my harshest critic, and, and we were talking about how it's like, as part of that's because like, we see it. Like, we see everything, you know? Some people are like, oh, man, you're, you're the best friend, or you're such a good guy, or whatever, and, and inside we're like, ooh, really? You know? <laughs> Um, like you didn't know what I was just thinking, you know, <laughs> but um, I think in that, what I'm just most most amazed by is that that God sees even more. Like like I'm my harshest critic because I think I see myself like see everything, but God sees like even even the unintended consequences that I don't see. God still sees that, and and if I yeah like if if I'm as harsh as I am, like He could be way more yet. Like, he chooses something so much different. Yeah. Now, let's give it up for Curtis. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that, um, again, looking at the scriptures in the back, another way to kind of maybe explain some of these scriptures that is so key. You, you notice that, that second scripture talks about there's this righteousness. So there's, there's this goodness now that's coming apart from the law. And the law, another way to look at the law is the scale of good and bad, right? How many of us operate on a scale of like, have there are good things in my life and bad things in my life, and we feel good about ourselves when the good outweighs the bad, right? Like that's just very normal. But that scripture is saying, no, no, there's another way 
God is looking to relate to us another way. Something apart from the scale is coming into the world. And it's a righteousness that comes from Jesus. God does not look at us based on this scale. Because the reality is, the scale is never really going it, to, it's a very, like, untrustworthy thing to base our own standing before God with. There's something better. It's Jesus' righteousness given to you and I when we put our trust in him. Another analogy that might help too, and Curtis, you brought this up uh, just with some of your language. Again, a lot of times with the scale as well, we think about, um, again, when the scale is good, there's more good, we, we, we feel good. But when the scale is off balance, we, there's a phrase we, many of us say, and I say it too, but we need to be careful what we, we actually mean with this. We talk about forgiving ourselves. On one hand, that's not a bad thing. But let's think about this really quick. How do you know if you're good enough to forgive yourself? <laughs> the way I kind of look at it sometimes is like, like another metaphor is like I, I'm kind of filthy with stuff. And forgiving myself is like washing myself with water that I'm trying to produce myself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm dirty and I'm supposed to forgive myself, it's like I'm going to try to somehow produce water to clean myself off. The only way I can do that is spit on myself. <laughs> and that doesn't work. <laughs> I don't have enough saliva to clean myself up, number one. But the righteousness apart from me is like the shower head. That water is not from me. It's another source. That's how I get really clean. It's not by my own saliva. And that, that is what God is saying to us. I want to make you clean. You can't do it yourself. You're not righteous enough. You don't have it within you. The system of the law, the skill, it doesn't work. I'm going to come, live that righteous life. And according to these scriptures, I'm going to give you that righteousness when you trust in me.